couple of years ago, a uh, pastor, a veteran pastor, received a phone call from a young pastor. He was an up-and-coming pastor. He had mentored this young pastor a few years prior. This up-and-coming pastor had started a church, and it was growing by leaps and bounds. And so he thought it would be a good idea to invite the, the gentleman who mentored him to come celebrate and preach at their five-year anniversary service. And so he places the phone call and he says, Pastor, he says, listen, we're having our five-year anniversary coming up in a couple months. Would you mind coming? He said, I'd love to. But the problem is, he says, I have an engagement uh, the, the day before, a commitment that I can't break, I can't get out of. But he says, I'll make a deal with you. He said, um, I can take a red-eye flight Sunday morning bright and early. If you could have somebody pick me up at the airport and get me to your church, he says, I can do it. We can pull it off. So sure enough, he flies in. Somebody picks up this pastor at the church. I mean, excuse me, at the airport. Takes him to the church just in time for worship to start, Okay. So he had no real opportunity to, to, uh, to talk to this young pastor, to say hello. It was one of those fly in and, and, and get whisked right to the church, come sit down, and boom, next thing you know, in a couple minutes, he's up on stage. It, the, the, the church was packed out because they, they had promoted this five-year anniversary service. And so there's hundreds of people, and uh, everything was going good. And about um, 30 minutes into his sermon, he noticed that there was a um, a digital clock on the pulpit. And so he's preaching and he's like, mm, okay, well, there's a clock on the pulpit, no big deal. Well, a couple minutes later, he hears a beeping noise. And it kept getting a little louder and a little louder. And he's like to himself, what is going on? And he thinks it might be a cell phone ringing or whatever. He can't figure it out. And lo and behold, this young up-and-coming pastor is sitting right there, and he's like giving him one of those, like, you're done. It's all the time you have. And he stops in the middle of his sermon, and he says, what's going on? He says, that's all we got. That's all the time you have. So he closes up the sermon really quickly. <laughs> Comes down off the stage, people, you know, thank you for coming, Pastor. And the young pastor says, Pastor, listen, can I take you to lunch? He says, I really want to tell you the cutting-edge strategy for our church growth. He said, that's great. So they get in the car, and they get to the restaurant, and the first thing out of the older pastor is, what's up with that beeper, that, that, that timer? He says, well, he says, my congregation only likes 30-minute sermons, and he says, we don't want to disturb their lunch routine. Hmm. Okay. And so they're having lunch. And he says, okay, he says, uh, I, I got to hear about your cutting edge strategy for the growth of your church. Lay it on me. He goes, are you ready, pastor? He goes, you're not going to believe. Give it to me. He says, we're the coolest church in town. Say what? He says, yeah, we are the coolest church in town. He says, we've expanded our coffee shop to include food. 
And we have a fog machine on our, on our stage. Pastor says, you've got to be kidding. He says, no, our numbers are increasing like crazy. You would not believe. We're known around town as being the coolest church in town. He says, son, he says, I got to ask you a couple questions. He said, is being the coolest church in town radically changing the lives of your congregation? Is having food and a fog machine really discipling your people? He said, well, pastor, to be honest with you, I have to admit and answer no. And so the, old, the older pastor says, can I, can I be, be frank with you? He said, what you're doing is you're offering a decaffeinated, low-calorie, 30-minute, powerless worship time for your congregation. He says, do they really understand what discipleship means and what following Jesus means? He said, Pastor, I don't know if I could answer that honestly. He said, in my opinion, your congregation is convinced that Jesus came to make them happy. He says, they're gravitating to you because you just simply provide self-fulfillment and some prosperity for them and the cool factor. He says, I also have to be honest with you. He says, I've listened to the last 10 sermons that you preached. And it's all about being happy in the blessings of God, but not once have I heard you say anything about sin, repentance, about dealing with forgiveness, about pain. He says, does your congregation even know about pain? And for that matter, how to get through pain. He said, when your congregation if and when you decide to make a change, if they get a hold of what following Jesus really means, he says your people will get healed. They will get radically transformed and they won't be coming to church to get entertained. But they'll come to church to get radically moved by the power of God in their life. And so the young pastor is just basically weeping at the lunch table. And he says, Pastor, could you help me? He says, yes, I would love to help you. He said, but it's going to cost you. He said, I, I realize that. So they finished lunch and they had to get to the airport really quick to get the older pastor back to his hometown. And the older pastor is about ready to get out of the vehicle. And he says, son, he says, I have a challenge for you. If you really want to know about discipleship, he says, this is the challenge. He says, I want you to take all four gospels and read only the red letters, the red words. Skip John chapter 6. 
Don't read it, but read everything else. He says, when you're done, give me a call. And he says, we will read John chapter 6 together over the phone. So the pastor gets out, he waves goodbye, gives him a hug, and goes off. And the young pastor is sitting there saying, I can't move. I've got to read the red letters now. So he calls his wife and says, baby, I'm going to be a couple hours. I'm okay. I'm at the airport. I'm not injured. I'm going to be a little late. And she says, baby, take your time. And so he's weeping in the car, reading all the red words that Jesus says in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, except John chapter 6. He rushes home thinking by the time he gets home, that other pastor is going to be at home. Makes a phone call, the other pastor doesn't answer, and he's like, well, I guess. So he goes into a house and he says, baby, i got to let you know. He said, I've got to call the pastor, probably not home yet, but I've got to go into the study. Would you just please, and you and the kids, could y'all just leave me alone because I need some alone time because God is dealing with me big time. Yes, by all means. He eventually gets hold of the pastor, and he says, okay, son, he says, tell me what the red letters say. He says, well, you know, pastor, what I realize that Jesus wasn't trying to be the coolest guy in town. He wasn't trying to raise up the coolest church in Jerusalem. He taught on love, but he also taught on sin. He taught on forgiveness, and he taught on repentance. He taught on transformation. He taught on healing. Nowhere do I see what he taught on being the coolest church in town. He said, son, are you ready for chapter 6 of John? He said, yes. I've been waiting patiently for you to get home. And he said, let's do it. And so for you here tonight, I want to recap John chapter 6 really quick. In the beginning of the chapter, you know the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's a miraculous, supernatural story of the power of God to take a few loaves and a couple fish and to feed that many people. Wouldn't you believe so? And so once that happens, later that evening, this was in the morning, later that evening, Jesus walks on water, you know that story, and then they retreat, they go to kind of the other side of the shore, and night falls, and the next day, it, 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 the next day happens, and so the crowd that witnessed the miracle of feeding of the 5,000 sees Jesus. And in their mind, they've got to see Jesus. Wouldn't you think? All they saw was a miracle. And so the older pastor says, let's read John chapter 6. So they read a few verses. And look what they find and read in John chapter 6. It's in your handout on verse 26. Jesus answered, and he's talking to the crowd who just saw a miracle the day before. I tell you the truth. You're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because I fed you with some food and I got food in our coffee shop and we got a fog machine on the stage. You're not once coming after me because you saw a miraculous sign. The pastor starts weeping. 
They read a few more verses. And they get down to John chapter 6, verse 66 and 67, and it's in your handout. And just prior to that, Jesus is speaking truth. He's speaking revelation to not only the crowd, but to his own disciples. He's going there. He's talking about following him, essentially. And look what it says in verse 66. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And the clincher is in verse 67. And Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you going to leave too? I think it's two of the most heart-wrenching verses in all the Bible that Jesus would ask his twelve, Are you going to leave like the rest of them? My goal tonight is simply to share with you about what following Jesus really means. And I want to be honest with you and upfront. There's a cost to following Jesus. Maybe you haven't considered it because maybe maybe you've you've just drawn away because you're afraid of what people might think of you seeking God. Maybe you haven't considered what following Jesus is because maybe your faith has gotten a little watered down because you're waiting for the fog machine to appear. Maybe you were once filled to the brim with the power of the Holy Spirit and you were laying hands on people and people were getting touched and set free and you were getting ministered to. But now it's a little different. Maybe life has brought you a little down in some unforeseen circumstances that have sort of gotten in your way with your fellowship with the Father. And so I ask you the question, how would you respond if Jesus said, are you leaving too? I want to let you know that Jesus was gentle as a lamb. He he welcomed outcasts. He healed the leper. He embraced the little children. But he also demanded utter loyalty and commitment. He didn't come to make us feel better about our sins. He came to destroy sin. He came to embarrass our flesh. He came to insult the sinful nature that we were born with. But he also came to pull us out of the deep pits of hell and to put us on the high road to living better. Amen. His red words are all about discipleship. And that young pastor finally got it. His red words were about an authentic relationship with the one who endured a cross, not a pillow. The reason people were turning away and deserting Jesus at that particular time is because they had no idea what following him meant. They didn't. They thought they did. Oh, they saw a miracle. But then the next day, 
Hey, can you feed me again? Real food. And so tonight, in this time that we have left, I want to talk to you about what following Jesus means. And in your handout, I've just got a couple blanks, and they're going to be up on the stay up on the screen. But I want to bring forth revelation to you about what it means to follow him with everything that you have. Amen. And so the first thing that you've got to do is to follow Jesus and to be committed to him. You have to agree to the terms. You have to agree to the terms. In Deuteronomy 29, it says, These are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites in Moab. In addition to the covenant he made with them at Horeb. Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials and to all his land. With your own eyes you saw those great trials, those signs and great wonders. But to this day the Lord has not given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. Yet the Lord says, During the forty years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread, and you drank no wine or other fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. And then down in verse 9 it says, Carefully follow the what? The terms of the covenant, so that you may prosper in everything you do. Let me just give you a few. You ever signed a contract and there's terms of the agreement? Why do they make them so small? Maybe they don't want you to know really what's going on. <clears throat> Tonight, I want to let you know what's going on. And so I just want to read off terms of the agreement. You can't follow him in the world at the same time. It's not going to be easy. Sooner or later, God's path will take you places you didn't intend to go. He asks you to stand up to people when it would be easier to hide and run. He requires us to forgive those who don't care that they hurt us and intend to do it again. He prunes the dead limbs in your life. It's no longer about us. You've got to wash some feet. You've got to put others first by serving them. Another term is he demands our undivided attention. Another term is he wants you to take the next step by getting in our next steps, which is this Sunday. If you haven't, I recommend you do it and do it now. <clears throat> Don't delay. Don't delay another month. Amen. Another term is he recommends a Sabbath rest. We got real quiet, Pastor Brandon. Our flesh wants perfect terms, but Jesus tells us that there's going to be times of darkness. There's going to be times of trouble. And we don't know why, but guess what? God works all things for the good through us and through the tribulations and circumstances. Amen? Another term is he wants you to walk in faith by inviting somebody to Wild Game Cookout, which is next month. You laugh, but there's going to be hundreds of men coming that night that don't know Jesus. 
And that is part of the terms that we have been entitled to, that we've got a privilege of inviting. Five dollars gets a man to this feast. How much are you willing to spend to get somebody here? That's the agreement. That's the terms of the agreement. Is to get off our seat and do something about it because there's a lot of men in this community that need to hear about Jesus Christ. We're going to feed them a meal. We might give them a little bit of fog. But we're going to teach them the gospel and give them an opportunity to make a decision that they will never regret for the rest of their life. You can go right in the foyer tonight and buy you a ticket and maybe five more. You have to agree to the terms. That's what following Jesus means, that you don't just come by yourself. I'm not trying to be hard at you, but you know what? We've got opportunity after opportunity that we afford to you to get involved. What a great opportunity. It's like fishing in a pond that's full of fish and we got a net. And we get them in here and Pastor Larry Stockstill is going to deliver a message to them that they will not forget. Amen. And finally, the last term. He'll move heaven and earth on your behalf. So based upon these terms, are you going to leave? Number two, you have to agree to the total cost. You have to agree to the total cost. In Galatians 6, verse 17, it says, From now on, don't let anyone trouble me, this is Paul, with these things. For I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. My friends, he's literally talking about scars. And it's not a little scratch that his cat gave him. In 2 Corinthians, it says, Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder. This is Paul. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received the Jews, the 40 lashes minus one. <clears throat> Three times I have be been beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. He's having a pretty rough day, don't you think? He says, I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from the river, danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, danger in the country, danger in at sea, and danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've uh, known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. That is the cost that Paul is talking about, that Jesus is referring to, about following him. The total cost. How far would you go? Are you ready to leave? Jesus is not a discounted Jesus. You can't bring your 20% bed and bath coupon 
to follow Jesus. Either you're all in or you're not. That's the cost that Paul was talking about. It means you've got to sacrifice everything. You've got to take some responsibility. You've got to endure some stones of persecution. But let me tell you, when you go all in, there is some great blessings that come your way. Amen? Man, Rob, you're making it kind of hard. You're kind of rough. Jesus is not negotiable. Following him is not negotiable. In Luke 14, it says a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciples, you're going to have to do some things. And here we go. You must, by comparison, hate. Ooh, that's a strong word. Hate everyone else. You're going to have to hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. Uh Uh-oh, Rob. That's a pretty strong word that Jesus used. Yeah. But he didn't mean it like we know hate. Like, I hate mosquitoes. How many of you hate mosquitoes? Thank you, Brian. How many of you hate humidity? Come on now. He's not talking about that kind of hate. He's saying, I want you to prefer me over everything else. He said, I want you to honor me before you honor someone else. So that's what he's saying. If you want to be my disciple, if you really want to follow me and go all in, you're going to have to agree to the total cost of putting me first. You see, people love Jesus because he was doing so many miracles. But entertaining crowds and seeing the increase of numbers was not the goal of Jesus. He wanted men and women and young people to look at the price tag of serving him and say, no matter what, I'm your man, I'm your woman. Let me tell you this, when it comes to salvation, God wants everybody who will come. But when it comes to discipleship, he only wants those who agree to the total cost of serving him. So knowing the total cost of following him... Are you going to leave? Number three, you have to agree to the wood, W-O-O-D. Jesus gave us two symbols of commitment. In his day, they were both made of wood. One was a cross and one was a yoke. In Mark 8, 34, it says, Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must decide, uh, excuse me, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, in Jesus' day, the cross was a symbol of pain and suffering, but it was also a symbol of death because that's how they handled their criminals. And so what Jesus is telling us, the readers, is is that we're going to have to put to death some things in our life. The things that we want, the things that we desire, have to take a back seat to following him. You see, Jesus doesn't 
simply call us just to say, yeah, we believe in Jesus, or we believe he can save us. He calls us to commit with everything that we have, including our life and our desires and our needs. And so I ask the question, is Christ your master? Is he supreme or is he number two? Or maybe five or six or seven? You see, taking up his cross is a daily undertaking. It's not just on certain occasions or at our convenience. Or when it looks good at church. And then we're fussing at our children on the way home. Oh, it got real quiet there. But I got to tell you something about crucifixion. And if, if you are taking notes, when I ran across this quote, I went, oh my gosh, I've got to share it. You, you got to write this down. It's very powerful. Crucifixion is excruciating, but it's the only path to a resurrection. Crucifixion is excruciating, but it's the only path to a resurrection. And it's not so much referring to what Jesus went through, but we're going to have to crucify the flesh in order to follow Jesus. But I tell you what, it's the only path to deliverance. It's the only path to freedom when we can crucify. It's going to be hard. It's going to be excruciating, but it's the only path to freedom. Can I get an amen there? The second symbol is a yoke. In Matthew 11 and 29 and 30, it says, <clears throat> Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And this is where we most, we, we, we mainly um, <clears throat> kind of hang out. You will find rest for your souls. How many of you like rest? Whew, I went home today and I took a little nap. Man, that was good. I like rest. Rest my mind, rest my body, rest my soul. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so those of you that maybe don't know what a yoke is, it's a piece of wood and it allows two oxen to be able to put in to carry. In other words, they're together. It's clamped on them and they just walk together. Jesus says, take my yoke and come alongside of me. And he says, I'm going to give you some rest. But what happens is a lot of people don't read what it says. Look in your notes. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. How many of you know that Jesus is the teacher, the only teacher? It's in his word. It's everywhere. It's, it's his principles. It's a way of life. Jesus says, when you submit to my ways and you agree to the wood, you're going to learn some things that are going to change you and maybe somebody else. Amen? You see, Jesus not only shows us how to remove the weight and the heavy burdens, but he also tells us how to keep it off. He wants us to be unburdened. Amen. So knowing that you have to agree to the wood, are you going to leave? 
And finally, number four, you have to agree to the shift. You have to agree to the shift. Here's the good news. Jesus not only welcomed all those, including us, that agreed to the terms, who agreed to the total cost, and agreed to the wood, but guess what happens? He doesn't leave us in the state that he found us. Great example of the, I love Paul. In Philippians chapter 3, it says, he tells us what happened to him. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I was a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as far as righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable. Hmm. Shift. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I can gain Christ. See, a shift happened in Paul's life. And if you look in these verses, you get a glimpse of who he was. He tells you. He says, I was a full-blooded uh, citizen. He says, I was a member of the tribe. I'm a member of the high society, the tribe of Benjamin. I think there was a little pride right there. A real Hebrew, more pride. Demanded strict obedience to the law. Perfection, persecuted the church, hatred, obeyed the law without fault, without fault, people pleasing, had to follow the rules, had to cross his eye, no, cross the whatever that thing is, and you dot your whatevers. You know what I'm saying? He was a rule follower. See, in his life, there was no grace and mercy until a shift happened in his life. See, verse 7 gives us that shift. He says, I once thought these things were good. I, I, thought, thought, I thought I was living okay. I thought I was following Jesus. Yeah, right, Paul. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. So what did Christ do for our buddy Paul? Well, he shifted that pride off of his life to a life of thinking about others. See, Jesus shifted the, the, the need to want to get everything right and to, to do the law to just being himself in Christ. He went from being a hater to a lover. He went from kind of follow the rules to a life of peace. What a shift, amen? So what does that mean for us? Following Jesus and agreeing to the shift means this, that when we go all in, he begins to shift some things in our mind. 
by, by giving us new mindsets. Maybe unworthiness has crept in. God wants to break that off of you. There's a shift that goes on in our heart. No longer is it about me, me, and me. It's about others. And those of you that served at our serve day a couple weeks back, you, you saw that firsthand. You see, following Jesus and, and, and giving his giving everything that you have for him, he'll shift in how you handle relationships. He'll shift in how you communicate. He'll shift in how you handle anger. He might even shift in how you handle your marriage. He'll even shift you from being uninvolved at Family Life Church to becoming involved. In a couple weeks, on Sunday, September 2nd, in our foyer, will be a wall of life groups. Maybe there's a shift that needs to take place in having some fellowship other than Sunday and Wednesday. Maybe there needs to be a shift and always wanting to get things so perfect. How many, who, who's like that? Let me see. Where are you? Come on. Look, raise your hand. You know you've got to have everything done right. Come on, people. Hey, I'm raising my hand. You see, there's a shift that happens. Maybe there needs to be a shift in God moving you out, living in regret. To further explain the shift, Paul says in verse 8, he says, for his sake I have discarded everything else. He says, I've gotten rid of it. I've, I've brought it to the trash. It's coming tomorrow morning. I'm getting it out of my house. He says, so that I can gain Christ. To complete the shift, and we're going to end right here. In Philippians 3, we're going to continue in verse 13 and 14. He says, brothers. Around here he would say, bros. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, he says, forgetting what was behind me and straining and looking toward what is ahead. He said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul was saying, I've got to forget. I've got to get that stuff out of my life. Lord, would you just simply help me? Do you have some things that are behind you that need to come out of your life? Come on, let's be honest. We've got to discard those things. We've got to take them to the trash dump. If we want an authentic relationship with the Creator, with the one that's calling us to serve Him with everything that we have, maybe there's some past hurt, maybe there's some rejection that you have not dealt with. Maybe there's some unforgiveness that is still haunting you today. And maybe it even affected you today. 
Maybe you're dealing with the abandonment as a child from parents. Maybe past failures that you have just simply said, there's no way I can continue on. I'm nothing but a failure. Maybe pride. Maybe, maybe you don't feel accepted. You see, moving forward, the Apostle Paul knew that in order to move forward, he, let the, he had to let the Holy Spirit move in his life and help him. Here's the deal about the Holy Spirit helping you. It could happen in an instant, but you know, for me, it, it, it took some time. So just be open to the Holy Spirit. Be open to correction. Be open to, to, to dealing with those past hurts so that you can move. Amen? And so that you can follow Jesus with everything that you have. Jesus didn't come to play patty cake. Amen? He didn't come to sing kumbaya songs. He came to help us. He came to comfort us. He came to change us and transform us. And I'm glad he did. And I'm glad he's still doing it. That he didn't retire, amen? Six months elapsed. And the older pastor called the younger pastor. Said, how you doing? Started weeping. He said, pastor, he says, you know, he says, we, we talked about when you told me it was going to cost me something. He said, you mentioned some things to me like I, I might lose some people if I change some things in the church. I might lose some families. I might lose some close friends. He says, I might, he says, you might even lose, I might even lose some uh, staff people. He said, you know, you were absolutely right. I lost a lot of people and I thought you were crazy. But he said, you know what? The truth that you spoke into my life, he said, in six months, God has already made up the difference in the people that left because they just wanted to be entertained. And there's literally been an explosion. He says, I've, I've, I've changed my preaching. He says, we no longer have a timer on the pulpit. Hallelujah. Beep, beep, time's up, Rob. Time to go home. He says, we've introduced some, some different classes, some individual healing as well as some uh, marriage classes helping our people. He says, yes, we, we've kept a few things. He says, we've kept the food. He says, we got rid of the fog machine. But he says, you know, he said, it has made such a difference of what the red letters say about following him. So are you going to leave too? If you would, please stand with me. My prayer tonight is simple. I've been praying since early this morning. I was at Starbucks kind of putting all this together, and I think the people thought I was a little crazy. 
but that's all right. I've got to agree to coffee, right? I just made that up. But I've been praying all day that God would somehow not only touch me, but somehow through this message, God would, would touch some people who are riding the fence. Look, I, I've been there. I don't know if I really want to serve God. I don't know if he's real. He's let me down. I've been there. But I know this. God showed me today that there were some people in here who needed to re-up. And not just rededicate your life because we use that word so often. Let me rededicate my life. No, I'm talking about getting with God. And agreeing to the terms, agreeing to the total cost, agreeing to the wood. And agreeing to the shift. Because let me tell you, when you agree to all those things, God is going to begin to do some phenomenal things in your life. You can take that to the bank and smoke it or whatever that thing said. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. You've said things like that before. No, seriously. Maybe you feel like you don't deserve to be in God's family. I talked to a young man Sunday. I shared a little nugget at our little um, usher and lobby host meeting. And he, he pulled me aside after me. He said, Pastor Rob, he said, what, what you said ministered to me. He said, my very first Sunday here, he said, I sat in my car. And I wondered, am I going to be accepted? Because he had just gotten out of jail. He said, when I walked through the foyer, I knew I was accepted because I got some hugs and I got some hellos and welcome to family life. Maybe you've been in the parking lot and you feel like you don't fit in. Maybe you feel like God is so far away. And what I want to do in this last couple minutes is I want to lay hands on anybody who feels away from God. Who wants to re-up. If that's you, I want you to come down really quick. Because I want to minister to you. I want to lay hands on you. Maybe you've been feeling so distant from God. Maybe you feel like, you know what? I just need to tell God I'm ready to commit. You got to be honest with yourself. I just want you to close your eyes right now as we close. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray you touch the lives of your people. I pray that you minister to your people. Lord, we know that it is only by your son that we can have life. Lord, we know that we have to agree to some things so, Lord, I pray that these people that are down here right now, that you begin ministering to them, you begin showing them that you're ready to deal, you're ready to minister, you're ready to deliver, you're ready to bring healing to them. 
And so, Lord, I pray over your congregation tonight. I pray over as we go home that we will not just take this hand out and throw it away. Lord, that we would take what's been presented and let it resonate in our spirit. Because, Lord, we don't want to hear the words, are you leaving too? Help us tonight. First, in your precious and holy name that we pray, amen.